Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBT WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT Radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. All right, here we go. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish and Saturday night's game between the Irish and and the Louisville Cardinal right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Guys, we're halfway through the football season, at least here in South Bend. We're already past the six-game mark. Incredible. When you don't have a bye, (sighs) things fly by. And hopefully the football team and the coaches are not as tired as the media is right now. (laughs) I mean, I know no one feels sorry for us. We have a cool job, but... It's been a long few weeks. Well, we are here in our WSBT studios. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by ABC57's Allison Hayes. It is great to have all of you with us on this Tuesday, October the 3rd of 2023. We are on the air until 7 o'clock tonight. Then we have Wake Up, The Echoes, the Notre Dame football athletics podcast type David Letterman show, I guess, is the best way I can describe it. So there'll be guests, there'll be sports talked about, and you can join them for Wake Up the Echoes tonight at 7 o'clock. That's why TV people have cue cards and teleprompters, because they would have said that very smoothly. I was just making it up (laughs) as I went, Allison. So that's why I'm in radio and you smart people are in TV, I'm telling you. Well, it's good to see you. Well, thank you. It's been... Wow, the last two weeks, the drama, I'm sure, has led people to want to take a big, deep breath after these last two games because, hey, it's fun having exciting football, but 
We could use a nice little <laughs> double-digit win this Saturday, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know about you, but the, the way everyone felt – Oh, that fourth quarter, it, as it was dragging on, it was just you're starting to get that sick feeling like, oh, here we go again. This is they're going to lose. They're going to lose. Oh, my gosh, they're going to lose. And then, oh, my gosh. It's like the opposite of what happened in the Ohio State game. Exactly. Do you think there are any young up and coming coaches, maybe someone watching football that's in high school and taking notes? And what have they noticed the last two weeks late in the fourth quarter of games? When you aren't overly aggressive or have your best players in the game, it can come back to haunt you. Yes. And when you play prevent, it can come back to haunt you. Both of those scenarios have taken place in Notre Dame's last two games. On the 4th and 16, Allison, what did Mike Elko do? And he is a brilliant football mind. I, I don't like to question, but it just goes back to when you're only rushing limited numbers and Rush three, drop eight. It's just been something that has not worked well late in ball games. So I'm to the point now, just be aggressive. I mean, Notre Dame was, or I should say Duke was aggressive on the previous plays, and Notre Dame was fourth and 16, but then they backed off. Yeah. So lesson learned, right, for all these young coaches out there? And probably afraid to be aggressive in that situation and then get burned. So then they try to not be quite so aggressive and then get burned. So, yeah, that's tough. It's a lot easier sitting in our recliner. Of course. I will definitely say that, but the old prevent defense normally prevents you from winning. All right, we are going to talk plenty of Notre Dame football tonight here on WSBT Radio. We have Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated to talk the latest in Irish football recruiting, including some news on Jerome Bettis Jr., what else do the Irish need to do in the 24 class? He's got some names for you, so we'll have that conversation coming up in the 6 o'clock hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And for those of you that are hockey fans, we are four days away from the first Notre Dame hockey game against Clarkson. Saturday at 6 o'clock, I'll have the call on Quality Rock 94.3 FM and on the Notre Dame radio network. So Irish and Louisville play really slow play as slow as you can so I can see as much of the second half as possible. All right, here we go with some Notre Dame football conversation, and let's just go back to Saturday night, Allison, for a couple of moments. Key moments from Notre Dame's 21-14 victory over the Blue Devils. Let's start on the offensive side of the football. When they needed it most, they were able to get it done, but it was a very interesting night offensively, a lot of ups and downs. So what are the key moments for you on offense? Uh, really, the creativity on that first drive, I, that was really the most impressive drive of the entire game for Notre Dame. The shovel pass to Jeremiah Love, the fake punt to keep it going. Uh, 12 personnel with all the verts. It was just, it was a great, it was exciting. It was like, wow, this is this is how you want to start off this game. I thought Duke's, Duke's defense was so prepared for Notre Dame's power run game. They were super athletic and, and just fast, especially at that second and third level. Um, Duke had a great game plan. What was disappointing when you're talking about those ups and downs was uh, Notre Dame's offense just didn't feel like it adjusted that well to it. We, and we didn't see a lot of mixing it up. We didn't see the bootlegs. We didn't see play action. So things like that were like where you have this great first drive and then things just kind of were like from there. So that, that was my biggest takeaway. Do you remember the game that used to be in bars 
that QB1 where you had the device and you could pick run or pass? Well, if you had run middle as your play when Notre Dame offense had the football, you racked up a ton of points in this football game because it seemed like every estimate run was between the tackles. And yes. you're right, the Irish probably could have used a little more creativity watching the Seahawks blitz the Giants last night. Giants started just dumping the ball off to running backs when they saw the blitz coming, a wide receiver screen. That might have helped the Irish at times in the ball game. But if I want to talk about key moments in the game with the injuries at wide receiver, which obviously hurt them, and the receivers that were healthy, you know, the consistency just wasn't there. They were targeted 10 times, four passes caught. Where would they be without Mitchell Evans? Wow, what a game. The last two weeks. Mitchell has been spectacular at the tight end position. And when you think about the greatness of Michael Mayer for three years with Notre Dame, he never had a game with 134 receiving yards like Mitchell Evans did against Duke. The Irish needed help with the receiving core banged up. And I'll tell you what, with the running game being clogged up, I think a lot of that because Duke wasn't scared of the receivers. They could hone in on that running game. Mitchell Evans was the one guy that Sam Harmon, I think, felt like truly he could count on playing and play out. Six catches for 134. Another one-handed catch. He doesn't need a second hand, obviously. So when I think about key moments of the game, this Fighting Irish football team without Mitchell Evans, who had a key catch on that final drive, I'm not sure where they would have been because points were a lot harder to come by than I would have expected. Sam was getting so much pressure, too. I mean, it felt like that defense was challenging Sam Hartman. Like, all right, bring it. Yeah. We're going to shut down this run game, and we're going to force you to see what you can do. Pass it. And they they were not concerned with the receivers, and you could tell. And then, But the run game, it just felt very conservative and almost telegraphed at times. And so that was confusing, too, because it's we were talking off air. It's like, why not allow Audric? Let them go out wide. On the Let, edge. Yes, and and there just wasn't th- that. So how do they adjust that now, coming into another tough ranked opponent on the road at nighttime against Louisville? I know coaches do not make decisions based on fans and media, <laughs> but there was such an outcry after the Ohio State game. Why take Audric Estime off the field so much? He had 14 of the 39 carries. In particular, I think we all agreed the final drive, we wanted seven on the field. Seven. 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 <laughs> yes, seven. Well, this game, isn't it interesting? He was basically the guy throughout this football game. So was this the coaching staff making that adjustment? Was this a one-game deal with Audric getting a little more time? I don't know, but remember I said a couple of weeks ago, Audric fumbled, and it was a big deal, and Marcus talked about he got taken out of the game because we don't do that. Well, now it's Audric scoring a touchdown when he shouldn't do it. You're right. Like, like Audric can't do anything right (laughs) while we have all these people with the self-inflicted penalties in that ball game that get to stay in the contest. Like, Audric's agent needs to be like, come on, pick on somebody else for a little bit. But, yeah, those self-inflicted penalties got to the point of ridiculous, and that well, I'm going to save the next okay. thought because we got a question coming up a little bit, so I'm not going to spill all the beans here. Okay, as we think about Notre Dame-Duke on Saturday, key moments for Al Golden's defense in this ballgame against Riley Leonard. Well, I thought two things that I was really impressed with was, one, really 
forcing the ball out of Riley Leonard's hands on a lot of those runs, crashing the edges. Uh, I thought the Notre Dame linebackers were just just as fast as Duke's running backs, which was really cool to see. Um, I thought also the defense played very disciplined as far as like assignment football. They didn't get lulled into that, like, I don't want to, you know, like, I'm bored with this, or, or they stayed with their assignment, especially Riley Mills. I thought he played really well. Nothing real fancy numbers-wise, but just he was where he was supposed to be, and he did what he needed to do, helped force that ball where Notre Dame wanted the ball to go to. The other thing I really liked was it felt like Golden kind of turned that defensive line loose a little bit and uh, mixed up how they were, you know, using them in the box, and I just thought it, that Overall, I thought that was better. Getting pressure with just the four also, we were seeing that a little bit. So I thought overall, I thought that the defensive game plan was really good. And uh, as a note, held Duke to the lowest point total of the Mike Elko era. So that's another bonus for this defense. Just overall, I thought they played well. Um, the tackling still is an issue, but when you get the win, you can kind of be like, well, you know, overlook that. But tackling is something that we want to see. Just missing them in space, that's ugh, frustrating. About 20 minutes before the game, I noticed on Twitter, Connor O'Neill, who covers Duke and Wake Forest, does a great job covering both of those programs. He tweeted out that Duke's All-American, or I'm sorry, All-ACC left tackle Graham Barton was out with an injury. And I'm like, this is a major, major piece of news because he is an NFL draft prospect. So with Barton down, I even felt better about Notre Dame's chances in this game. So without Barton, hey, the defensive line had a really good performance. I thought Al Golden, for the second straight week, had a really solid plan. I know we can talk about the last three minutes of the Ohio State game, but up until that point, the plan and the execution was really good by Notre Dame against Ohio State. And I really felt like after the first quarter, I didn't know if Duke was going to score. Yeah. The amount of pressure they were putting on Riley Leonard, he did not have much of a chance in the pocket. Now, Duke started using Leonard as a runner more often later. I'm not sure why they didn't do that earlier. Yes, I, I found and that's that what he does, right? Yeah. Like, that's what he does best. He's not known for his throwing. Right. He's known for making plays with his legs, which he ended up doing later in the game. But I thought Coach Golden, once again, had a really good plan. The execution was pretty solid throughout the night. And it was really a night in which I thought the defense did enough to win the game. And had they lost, I wasn't going to put anything on them. Right. It was the offense leaving points on the field in the first half. And just not being able to move the football in the second half, it was not as bad as Navy last year, but at times it felt like they were stuck in quicksand. They Mm -hmm. just couldn't get anything Anything. going. And I mentioned this to, I guess, Tyler Horka yesterday on our live YouTube show. I wish Notre Dame had a bye this week for a couple of reasons. Number one, to give these poor guys a break. And number two, this would be a really good time for the Notre Dame offensive coaching staff Mm -hmm. to self-scout themselves. Yes. Go look at tape of themselves and break down the tape like they are the opponent going up against the Irish offense because the last two weeks have not been as crisp in a lot of areas, and I think there might need to be a little reevaluation of a few things. So I really wish there was a bye this week because I think Charlie Weiss used to say that, you know, we need to take the bye to self-scout ourselves. I think the offense needs a little reevaluating and, and self-scouting, but 
The circus goes on. No time. Off to Louisville we go to take on the Cardinals, who, by the way, are 117th in the country in total defense, giving up 422 yards per game. So there might be a nice Band-Aid <laughs> coming thanks to the Cardinal defense. And let's just move along to decisions. Notre Dame, after Sam Hartman's scramble on 4th and 16 to keep the game alive, there was a moment where Sam's looking to the sideline as you're watching on ABC 57, like, what's the call? What's the call? Well, eventually, the ball goes to Audric Estime, who ran to his left because he was supposed to center the football. But then he's like, aha, he ran to his right and ran all the way in from 31 yards out to score the go-ahead and what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown. A lot to uncover here. <laughs> first things first, Marcus Freeman, when asked about Estime's scoring, it was 14-13 Duke. So if you score a touchdown, you give Duke the ball back. If you go down to the one-yard line, you could milk time and then just rely on a one-yard touchdown run or a field goal. But you're forcing someone to make one more play. So Marcus Freeman was asked about what he said after the game Saturday that he wished Estime would have taken a knee at the one-yard line. The, the, the things that can happen in the operation of a field goal, um, you know, and you got to weigh the percentages. You know, we didn't assume Audric was going to break that and score a touchdown. You know, we, we were really more thought of centering the ball a little bit and, and planning to uh, kick a game-winning field goal. But, you know, I, it's really hard to, when you're down to take points off the board. And this was a conversation we've had with coaching staff. If we can go back and do it again, would we say alert down down on this? You know, and, and as the head coach, you know, I have my own philosophy on things. So, um, but we're going to be aggressive. Um, I don't ever want to take points off the board. But I also want to put my job, put our position, our team in a position to win. And um, you could win in either case, right? That's the reality. You can win if you you go down at the one and it's perfect with the snap, the hole, and the kick. You know, and there's no time left. You could win the way we did win. You know, but at the end of the day, um, the objective is to win, and we found a way to do that. So when I heard that, you heard Marcus say, "I have a philosophy." But he really didn't say what the philosophy was. He kind of said, well, you can win both ways. I'll say this. I am glad Audric Estime scored the touchdown. I understand what the analytics tell you. If Notre Dame misses the two-point conversion, you're only up five. They score a touchdown. They win the game. But you're asking a lot of things to go right. In fact, let me take a step further back, Allison, then I'll, I'll be quiet here. But they were just trying to center the ball, which means they were going to rely on Schrader to kick a 48-yard field goal to win the game. That's the part that's lost in the conversation. I could care less about Audric taking a knee at the one or scoring a touchdown. If Audric did what I guess he was supposed to do, the game's on the foot of Schrader. Right. And we are having a major conversation yesterday today, tomorrow, Thursday, about the handling of late-game situations because I can't imagine there are many Irish football fans that would have been comfortable with that decision. I don't understand quitting 
trying to move the ball because still in college football, inside of two minutes, you get a first down, clock stops, and you know Duke is not going to do something crazy. They're probably going to play prevent defense. So the fact that the initial thought was to center the ball, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful Audric scored a touchdown. (laughs) And rightfully so to be concerned about giving it to Spencer Schrader in in that situation. He has been inconsistent, to say the very least. He missed a field goal in that game. He just isn't – he's not consistent enough to feel like you can trust him in all situations. Now, I get the whole idea of wanting to get it down to the one, to use up more clock, to not give them the ball back or give them it, give it to them with the least amount of time possible. But sure. you're giving it to them with 30 seconds, and your defense has played really well Darn right. for the whole game. I mean, I, now I was concerned when you see Riley Leonard. Uh, you know what he's capable of doing. But at the same time, man, trust that defense. You're, you want your running back to score. He scored. Then they get that two-point conversion. Everything went right. So let's celebrate that everything went went right in that situation. I, so many things could have happened. I mean, you have to hope, even if they got it to the one, and, and I mean, they're just, ugh. That it's so frustrating to even think about that. Like to be upset with Audric for not putting it, his knee down. I, I just I don't understand that. But it, you know, of course, if he didn't get in, it, maybe it's a different story, or I, I don't know. But if you're tied, or you have the lead, I totally get taking a knee at the one. But the fact that you are behind. I'm a little more uneasy about taking yes. a knee at the one-yard line because remember Dane Christ was at the one-yard line in the Irish offense against South Florida, the Thunderstorm oh, game. Gosh, yeah. What happened? Don't he fumbled, me. and they took it all the way for a touchdown. I gave the story of my poor childhood with my Broncos losing three Super Bowls in four years. Our kicker missed a 19-yard field goal Oof. in the Super Bowl. Right. So I've, I've lived through that, and I'm not saying Strader would have missed a 19-yard field goal, but being behind – I am more apt to score. Tied or ahead, I think a totally different conversation. I get taking a knee at the one-yard line. But I'm I'm just thinking, if they would have just centered the ball and if they would have missed a 48-yard field goal, for example, Paul Feinbaum, <laughs> Colin Coward, every radio host in the country on Monday – on a national show would have been talking about the last two weeks, mm-hmm. the things that have happened to Notre Dame with 10 men on the field twice and centering the ball and settling on a 40-yard field goal when you have time left. It would have been a rough, rough Monday for this football program. But fortunately, Audric Estime saved the day. Well, and here's a question for you, and I don't know if you know, but, I mean, did they tell him if you break free, take a knee? Does he know he's supposed to take a knee at the one? Or are they just hoping that he has the realization that they want to run more time off? The, like There was a code word he said, okay. but he kind of danced around. And I don't know if Audric and the offense was told to do that. Again, when we hear we were centering the ball, right? that makes you think they weren't worried about making a big play. They were just trying to get the ball in a place that Schrader is comfortable to kick the field goal. Mm-hmm. So I think the touchdown surprised... Everybody on the sideline (laughs) because they were playing for the field goal based on what I'm hearing. Now, if I'm misinterpreting, I apologize. But based on what I heard, they were centering the ball. Right. Oh, boy. I'm so glad Audric scored. Thank you, Seven. Thank you, Seven. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because 
the fine bombs of the world would have been a I would have been a whole lot nicer than I think they would have been in that particular spot. So I think we all agree. We're glad Audric scored and everything worked out just fine. All right, Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you on Sportsbeat. Let's go through one more of our opening topics. And this is about the way this season is unfolding in regards to the schedule. And I think the toll it might be taking on this football team. Eight straight weeks of games to start the year, including a trip to Dublin in week one. And you think about the last two weeks, two emotional, physical football games that this squad has gone through. And before you get to take a breather, you got another road game, prime time, which means you get home late again on Sunday morning as you go down to Louisville. And then the Irish come home. The pre-break game is top 10 USC. So You're a biggest rival. Yeah. So this is quite the gauntlet that the Irish have gone through, in particular going Duke, well, go Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, USC, let alone playing eight straight weeks before you have a bye. And Marcus Freeman was asked about going through this gauntlet on Monday. Yeah, it's, you know, we got to say one game, one life, and um, this is all that matters. And the reality, Pete, is, is you can't be worried about the outcome of the game as much as preparing yourself for the game, right? And preparing this team and making sure we're ready to perform at our highest level on Saturday. And, and that's just the constant message, the constant thought process is, okay, what is it going to take today in preparation to make sure we're ready for Saturday? Okay, what is it going to take tomorrow in preparation to make sure we're ready for Saturday? And the other part of it is, how do we get better? Like, how do we get better? And, and that's more important than anything is that we have to continue to focus on improvement. And uh, and then Saturday will come, and obviously it's you're 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 judged off whether you win or lose. But we can't think about that. We got to focus on improving in in today's preparation and making sure we have a better chance to be successful on Saturday. Well, I think we've had this conversation that we have full confidence in Coach Freeman in preparing a football team emotionally. For any game, the three and three start last year. I've said it many times that season could have went down the drain. After losing to Stanford, he kept the troops locked in. They won six of seven to end the year. And when they were three and three, I don't know if I was envisioning nine and four. And that's exactly what Marcus was able to accomplish. So I think there's no doubt Marcus has the drive and the fire and the words to keep this team going through this very difficult stretch. But this is still. A tough, tough stretch on these players. So, do you have concerns about the next two weeks? And let's just put aside the opponents and how good Caleb Williams is and that USC offense and how bad both of the defenses are they're playing over the next two weeks. Just in terms of the physicality they've gone through, the emotional drain, the wear and tear, the no breaks, do you have concerns about the next two weeks? I do for sure. I mean, we, I talked about that with you last week that I had concerns that I said, who does the scheduling? Why would there be no (laughs) breaks whatsoever? Um, I was concerned going in to Duke. Not that I did not feel at any point that this was a trap game. We we've talked about that. Sure. 
when they beat Clemson, it was a huge, it was actually the best thing that could have happened. So they knew how serious of a team Duke really was. So I, I didn't feel concerned about that, but just the emotional drain, I think it was good in the sense of like, they had another game right away yeah. to have to get prepared for and be ready. Um, I almost would have more concern about this game now being a trap game. You, I know they're ranked in the top 25. We know their offense is good. But, I mean, even myself, while I'm doing, you know, prep for this game, I'm like, ah, you know, well, they're going to they're gonna win this game. They are. And, and they, <laughs> they should, right? But this is where – if they're getting more down, we've we're seeing some of those little ticky tack injuries. We're uh, we had the wide receiver room was depleted this past game. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if all of those guys are back yet or not, but you know there are concerns. When when I talked about it this last week, when um, Maris Leifau was playing through a stinger yeah. against Ohio State and he had an awful game. You know that you just get to this point in the season, and it, and I do ask that why is that allowed to be laid out like that and then in the final month of the season you got two games a bye week two games by week you know it was like oh, now you get all the breaks in the world now you have rust we're concerned about <laughs> exactly <laughs> then you, you're trying to shake that off so yes I absolutely have concerns about it I don't understand how it got scheduled the way it was especially when you are going to Ireland in week one or excuse me week zero and then you're on the road at NC State in essentially another hurricane game so it's just been a, a lot of things that they've been dealing with in addition to the emotional heartbreaker of Ohio State. Now you're coming off an emotional win, thankfully, against Duke. So, yeah, for sure. I, I just think uh, it's a, it's going to be draining on them. Yeah, they could have taken a bye instead of playing Tennessee State, but they went that direction, obviously. So. And that's not where you want to take the bye either, I don't yeah. think. Absolutely. That's part of the argument. Right. I think that's why you just play you do what you an do. FCS team rather than taking a bye. It's as close to taking a bye without taking a bye. I just wonder with so many mental penalties yes. on Saturday, eight self-inflicted false starts or lining up offsides. To me, those are mental mistakes. And that's why I just have a little concern going forward over these next two games as this team has been through a lot emotionally, physically, number of miles they've traveled. It's a lot on these young men, so I hope they can keep it together two more weeks. I feel good about this week, and then next week I I haven't been able to wrap my <laughs> head around what a 45-44 game is going to look like probably at Notre Dame Stadium. All right, Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you. Gosh, it's 5.36 already. <laughs> Holy cow. Does the clock go faster when we're together? It just seems it like does. we start and then we got to go to break. We're late for a break. We'll get to some more Notre Dame topics, uh, the wide receiver injuries. How much of a factor was that? Mitchell Evans. You'll hear from Howard Cross, who is the in a couple of spots, the National Defensive Player of the Week after 13 tackles, a sack, and two forced fumbles, including the clincher. More sports beat coming up next on WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime. 10 5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. That was Paul Burmeister on the call. 
And you can hear more of Paul and Ryan Harris this Saturday night, 7.30 kickoff. They'll have the call of Notre Dame and Louisville right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our pregame starts at 1 o'clock. Game day sports beat from 4 until 6.30 brought to you by Bud Light. It's going to be me at the Compton Family Ice Arena doing the first hour of the pregame. Then I call hockey from there. We'll have Eric in studio and Tyler will be in Louisville. So what could go wrong technically? We've got everything locked in here. We'll have a great broadcast. And Allison, you've got another hour pregame show this week. Yep, we do. We are uh, live 11 to noon from Louisville. Our whole crew is oh going to make gosh. the trip. Yeah, so we're really excited. We're doing the show from inside of the stadium. And uh, we just are We're, we're going to give you the full Louisville experience. Did I say that right? Louisville. 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 Not That's Louisville. Right. It used to be Louisville <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought, but now it's Louisville. Louisville. So, yeah, we're going all in, and it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to take you behind the scenes at Churchill Downs, even though it has nothing to do with football. But Love why it. not, right? Louisville Slugger, we're doing it. Absolutely. I didn't get to do the Louisville Slugger tour when I was in Louisville, but it's a wonderful town. I was actually there the week that Muhammad Ali passed away, and so oh, they were wow. doing all of the the ceremonies and stuff. It was It was pretty cool to see. Okay, Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you. Sportsbeat continues on WSBT Radio. So there were obviously imperfections on a night in which the Irish pulled one out against Duke, winning 21-14. You can't take for granted winning on the road in college football. It's not easy. So let me ask this, Allison. Do you look at the win differently and are less critical of mistakes since this football team was coming off a heartbreaking loss to Ohio State Seven days prior. I think we all agreed this was a trap game in the summer. So you beat Ohio State and just find a way to beat Duke. But knowing that they lost a heartbreak of the week before, how do you, I guess, describe what this win means and, and how much do you overlook some of the mistakes? totally overlook the mistakes. <laughs> Who cares? They got the win. No. Well, we were watching it. I'm watching it with my husband, right? We're, you know, and he, you know how you get, it's, it's, you get emotional while you're watching it. It's like, Oh, the sky is falling and they're terrible. And this, they're not going to win. And, and I, and I was saying to him, cause I won't get into all of the things that he said, but he, <laughs> I was like, I don't think that they are not playing hard enough. I think if anything, they were too emotional. They were almost trying too hard and wanted it so badly to get over that Ohio State win, or excuse me, the Ohio State loss, that they that's where you're getting these stupid mistakes and the penalties and, and the bad tackling again. Now, that wasn't necessarily a result of Ohio State. That's been all season long. Sure. But those are the things that you can be critical about and that you can correct. And some of the play calling that we've talked about already was questionable and, and conservative and, and mind-boggling at times because it's, you know, you have such a talent and, and at least Audric was on the field and given the opportunity to make those plays, especially what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown. But you know, you're definitely much more forgiving after a win but than you are after a loss. But So, yes and no. Yes, I, I think there were definitely mistakes that need to be fixed, but thank the Lord they were able to find a way to scratch out that W and get it done. And what a boost, though, for the team. Imagine where this team would be 
today, preparing for now number 25 Louisville on the road after another devastating yeah. loss. It would be very difficult to rally them and, and keep them all together. And now you have to hope that they are tired, they are wore out, they've been through a lot of emotions these past two weeks. Now they got another tough road game that they have to get ready for. You have to just hope, like I said earlier, that this one isn't what turns out to be the trap. The day started with three or four people on college game day picking Duke. And I was like, wow, really, really? Well, when we found out during game day sports beat that Jaden Greathouse was not going to play, I actually adjusted my final score prediction from 31-16 to 24-16. I was really concerned because you look at the wide receiving core, it was down to three guys, and I felt like Duke was going to be able to hone in more on that run game, which they were able to do, and the game was a whole lot closer than I would have thought earlier in the week. But I'll tell you what. Did the team give us heartburn, indigestion during that game? You better believe it. But this is a week where I cut a lot of people slack because just win this game. That was a tough, gut-wrenching loss to Ohio State. We knew this was going to be a trap game, win or lose, the emotions going into that Ohio State game. I just wanted them to win. So I am thrilled they pulled it out. Their playoff hopes are still alive. Were there things in the game that were very, very concerning? You better believe it, and we've talked about it over the last two days. I'm really interested to hear offensive coordinator Jared Parker meet the media tonight. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation to, I think there needs to be a bit of an intervention on the offensive side of the football to get things back going once again, but I'm okay with winning this game. However they did it, it is tough to win on the road against a Power 5 team. They're better than I thought. Their defensive line, I thought, was more physical than Ohio State's. Yeah. And that shocked me. So, Uncle Lou, you were – I'll give you credit on that one a little bit with Ohio State not looking as physical as Duke did along the defensive line. I'm just glad they won. A lot of these things are fixable, and they can fix it this week, enjoying a victory – and I just want them to get through these next two weeks with a couple of victories, and then they can eat cheeseburgers on the couch, take a breather, and then get ready for the Final Four, which my goal is always November 1st, still have hope for the playoff. Yes. And they've got to beat USC and also Louisville just to get by October 14th with one loss, so there's still work to be done after that, but... They can win the next two. There's a chance they could be a one-loss football team going into November, and then you never know what's going to happen. And we were just talking about the receiving core, Jaden Thomas, Jaden Greathouse out against Duke. You were down to basically Chris Tyree, Tobias Merriweather, and Rico Flores. They were targeted 10 times with only four catches. So how much did the wide receivers' injuries affect the entire offense. This was Marcus Freeman after the game Saturday night down in Durham. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously with, with injuries to three guys now um, in that room, you know, we didn't have much depth, you know, and, and Braylon James is close. He's getting there, but he, he just wasn't ready today. And, and, you know, what you see over the course of the game, you can't rotate wideouts. Um, they get tired. And so I'm so proud of the gutsy performance that they, they did have out there. Um, for Rico to catch that two-point conversion, and they continue to battle. But, yeah, we went in, and uh, we need those guys to get back for next week. Sounding good, the great house, and also Thomas will be back. So 
That's really, really good news after what we saw Saturday night. And I got a little grumpy on the live YouTube show I did with Tyler Horka on Monday because there was a small minority that felt like Sam Hartman did not play well in this game. And if you look at the stats, you see 15 of 30. That's not normal Sam numbers. But was the offensive line playing at a high level? Were the wide receivers playing at a high level? Was the running game clicking on all cylinders? There are a lot of things working against Sam Hartman in this football game, and Duke was really good on defense. So sometimes there are really good incompletions. you got to just throw the football away and live for another day. So if you're just looking at stats, if you want to give Sam Hartman a C, a D plus, go ahead because I'm not. Even before that final drive, I thought he was keeping his team in the game and he wasn't making the fatal mistake. But you got to have wide receivers get open in order for the quarterback to have a better completion percentage. The only complaint I would have, and it's not really his fault Mm -hmm. per se, it's really more on that O-line, is just not – he didn't look comfortable. He didn't look like he necessarily trusted the offensive line to give him the time that he needed. You know, even on that fourth and 16 play, you know, could he have maybe tried to find Rico? It would have been a tough pass, but – he just didn't even take that time. It was like, I got to tuck it and run. And, and that's what he did. And to his credit, I mean, he did exactly what he needed to do to keep them in the game and to keep them alive. Uh, I was surprised, actually, that the, the wide receivers, the injuries at wide receiver affected the game as much as it seemed to have. I thought that they would be fine with the way that they've been utilizing the tight ends. You, and they really didn't use hold and stays that much, mostly just as a blocker. But, you know, there's so much talent between the running backs, between the receivers that you do you have. And then, of course, you've got some really talented tight ends that I, I just thought they would be okay. So I was disappointed that it just that the receivers – had more of an impact maybe than I, I was expecting. Yeah. I, that's why I tweaked my score just a little bit. I was really concerned about what the wide receiver position was going to look like because in my Friday predictions, I had great house having the best day of the wide receivers. Well, he's not playing, so that right. definitely affected me. They threw to the running backs. They target them five times. There were five catches, so there was a little productivity. And we talked about Mitchell Evans earlier with the six catches. For 134. Want to get to one more soundbite. Howard Cross, he has been playing championship football all season. He has been a major asset for the Irish defensive line. How about this line against Duke? 13 tackles. He had one of the two sacks, two forced fumbles, including the game clincher. And on top of that, he had the great opportunity to talk to the Notre Dame media after the game Saturday night. It's, it's ecstatic. There's really no other feeling like it. That's what every guy in my position chases, is that feeling of everybody looking at you, everybody so proud of what you've done. And it just goes to show that what we've worked on. I couldn't have done what I've done. It was a son. So I couldn't have done what I, what I did without the rest of my D-line. So. How did the first half unfold, and what was the vibe at halftime? I would imagine there had to be something like, it's 10 nothing. Like, did it feel like the game should have been farther apart than I mean, it was it was a game. I mean, they're they're doing great this season, right? They're a great team, so it's not shocking that we're that it's that close. Um, every every team has a has a chance to be another, every good team has a chance to be any team, and uh, if you're playing another good team, it just comes down to who makes the least amount of mistakes. So. Yep. 
Howard, you're playing a lot of snaps. How do you have the stamina to be in a position like that? I am not going to lie to you because I'm actually not going to touch anything. Uh, I have a really bad sinus infection, <laughs> so I have no idea. Uh, there are like three or four plays where like, I can't breathe, and I don't know what's going on. Uh, but I just, I just kept going. I looked at my dad in the stands, and which I do every game, and obviously just keep moving. If you want to feel better, run it out. So. Any other questions? Yeah. How important is it for the defense to play the way it did today in a game like this, where you're undermanned on offense, and obviously it's a tough environment to play in, but it seems like you guys are just keeping you guys in the game. Uh, I mean, it's everything. I mean, that's how great uh, defenses are made, right? When, uh, when the chips are down and you don't really know what's going to happen, what are you going to do with the hand that you have? So we went out, uh, we played our hearts out, and uh, when, when it mattered, we made, we made the stop. And awesome. Mike? What was it like chasing uh, Riley Leonard around, and um, how did you guys largely contain him? Uh, I mean, like with any running quarterback, because I'm sure we're going to see uh, a lot for the rest of the season. Uh, I mean, we just we practiced all week. It's like he will take off. So make sure you you see like if you if you're going a certain way, this gap's open. He's probably going to take off. So we just emphasize that. And then during the game, there's just nowhere for him to go because we had eyes on wherever wherever he could have gone. There you go, your National Defensive Player of the Week, Howard Cross. Thirteen tackles, a sack, two forced fumbles, all with a sinus infection. So he did a great job of tackling the middle of the three he was seeing right on the field throughout the game. That is no fun doing anything with a sinus infection, let alone putting on a helmet, getting hit in the head, Ugh. and playing football. I had a sinus infection this past week. I'm still getting over it right yeah. now, and I can totally feel him on that. And, and you know, the old saying, my our uh, Shelton's Farm Market, our, our grandpa there, Jimbo, he says, you can be sick at home or you can be sick at work getting something done and, and <laughs> contributing. So get your butt to work. <laughs> That's a good philosophy. That's a good business motto as well. All right, so what do you think, Allison? Do you like Notre Dame's chances going down to Louisville Saturday night? I do, but then doing like a ton of research, you know, right away, like trying to look into this, all this stuff. Um, my biggest concern, well, the best thing I saw was that Louisville's run game was really stifled by NC State's defense. I don't know if you watched any of that game. I oh, watched. It was hard to watch. It was, but <laughs> NC State's defense played so good in that first half. I mean, they were everywhere and just so disruptive and Louisville really struggled but then of course they were able to overcome it and their defense played well and, and really gave NC State Brennan Armstrong played pretty terrible in that game but you see uh, he's been benched now really he's been replaced yeah he's not starting Ooh, anymore woof. Yeah, yeah well uh, that'll happen when you have Yeesh. a game like that but uh Jack Plummer he had 286 yards one touchdown Two interceptions, but he was sacked four times. So there's like you, there's they have an explosive offense, and, and it's a little bit scary at times. And they're dangerous. They're actually ranked number one in explosive pass rate and fifth in yards per pass. But there's room for error there, and there's there's a lot of opportunities where Notre Dame's defense, especially playing as well as it has been, can cause some turnovers, can be disruptive, can put Jack on his heels. And so I think they have a really good opportunity this week. I do feel that Notre Dame is the better team overall. If you take everything else aside, all of the other games, all of the injuries, all of the emotions, all of that, and just go team for team, if Notre Dame can just be disciplined and, and not look past Louisville, I think that yeah. they have a very good chance here. 
I mean, they've faced this quarterback twice. Right. At Purdue and Cal. Which is crazy. Yeah, it's welcome to the new age of college football, no question. But he's averaging like five yards per attempt, which is a very poor number in two games against the Fighting Irish. I'm not overly concerned about talent against talent in this game. Notre Dame is the better team. I just go back to the fact two physical games, two emotional games back-to-back. You're back on the road. If Notre Dame is mentally locked in and fatigue is not a factor, they're going to win this game, I think, comfortably. But if the last two weeks have taken its toll, then I think Notre Dame wins, but it could be a little more challenging. And something, of course, to keep an eye out for is Jeff Brom. You know he's going to throw in some trick plays. He always has a trick play in his bag, at least it seems in almost every game he's done that his whole career. So Notre Dame has to kind of be prepared for that. I was shocked to see the fake punt from Notre Dame. I loved it. it. And I'd like to see, but you don't want to get crazy with it. But it was such a nice, uh, you know, especially after – a Freeman had kind of tipped his hat like every time we're over the 50 and we're at fourth and short I'm going for it you know so it was like yes throw in a mix here and, and, and mix it up and, and catch them on their heels knowing what we know now those seven points they got eventually off that fake punt were crucial because Huge. none of us had any idea it was going to be that much of a struggle throughout the game to put points on the board but those seven points came in awfully handy all right Allison Hayes from ABC 57 I'm Darren Pritchett Quick timeout. We'll wrap up this hour with our Twitter question of the day here on WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Along with ABC 57's Allison Hayes, I'm Darren Pritchett. Twitter X question of the day from yesterday. Who gets the ultimate game ball in Notre Dame's 21-14 win over Duke? Your four choices. Quarterback Sam Hartman. Running back, Audric Estime. Defensive lineman, Howard Cross. Tight end, Mitchell Evans. Allison, how would you cast your vote? I mean, you could go with all of those guys, any of those guys, but I'm giving it to Sam Hartman. That guy willed his team to keep that drive alive. Had he not made that first down on 4th and 16, the game is over. And he made it happen out of nothing and he was sacked twice in the game and he he got the job done so no doubt about it I know they didn't give the game ball to him for in real life but in in my opinion Sam Hartman all the way okay fourth place in the voting seven percent went to the guy with two touchdowns including the game winner Audric estimate had he taken any at the one he would have gotten 56 percent of the vote <laughs> Coming in third place, tight end Mitchell Evans, six catches for 134. He got 15% of the vote. Second place in the voting at 31% was the National Defensive Player of the Week, Howard Cross, 13 tackles, a sack, and two forced fumbles. He got 31%, and Allison, UN 47% went with quarterback Sam Hartman, who made plays when the team needed them the most and we thank you all for voting and here is today's question went up earlier today if the keyword is if you believe there is an offensive issue right now what is the biggest problem i gave you four choices number one wide receiver health number two offensive line play number three play calling or number four what are you talking about 
I'm not worried about the offense. All right. So, Allison, what do you think here? We've talked about everything but not worried about the offense on the program today. <laughs> when you look at the last two games and the production or lack of production on offense, I think you have to be a little bit worried about it, especially when you're getting ready to face some teams that can put a lot of points on the board. Um, I, I was really torn between play calling and the offensive line. Uh, play calling is still just perplexing to me at times where we, we're not seeing the creativity. We don't understand the way they're utilizing Audric Estime. But overall, I'm still going to stick with the offensive line. It's just inconsistent. We're seeing times where they look really great, and then you're seeing times where they don't. They, they did not block well. They gave up two sacks. Um, there were technical issues, uh, being a little bit too high, getting bull rushed by that D-line, not anchoring, the false starts. That one is just so frustrating and then it just looked at times like the offensive line wasn't necessarily fully prepared for what Duke's defensive game plan was boy there's a combination I could go with here but just to be different I'm going to say wide receiver health because I think mm. the running game would have had a little more productivity had there been more danger from the wide receiving core in that game I do think there needs to be some tweaking of the play calling. The offensive line needs to be better. Wide receiver help. So in a perfect world, we talk about all three and vote for all three. But I'll, I'll go with the wide receiver help that maybe helps a couple other areas of the team if you've got more productivity. And since we're close to Halloween scariness. Is that a word? Scariness? Sure. All right. I just made it up. <laughs> well, they are getting a boost because they're getting some of the guys yeah, back. Absolutely. So that's big. Okay. And again, you'll be down in Louisville on Saturday? That's right. I'm heading down on Thursday. All right. I'm doing all the stuff you can do in Louisville. We're going to go to the Louisville Slugger Museum. We're going to just really check it out and get the full experience. Uh, we have a great show lined up. We'll, we'll have um, some special guests, including the play-by-play uh, -play announcer for Louisville. He's been doing it for 40 ever. Ever, yes plus years uh, we're going to be doing the show live from inside the stadium so it's just going to be a really great show and, and really looking forward to another opportunity we were talking about the schedule i needed a bye week this past week but i'm <laughs> energized i'm ready to go i'm ready to go to louisville then i'm ready to yeah. come back home have usc and then we get our break that sounds like a plan to me so you guys are on the air what time saturday 11 to noon all right very good have a safe trip we'll talk to you next tuesday that's ABC 57's Allison Hayes. I'm Darren Pritchett. Timeout coming up. Sports update. Mike Singer talking all things Notre Dame football recruiting. All coming up on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Your home of the Irish and the Cardinals Saturday night at 730. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on Twitch as Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider Mike Singer. Our conversation on 960 AM WSBT and also on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel, Mike Singer and Darren Pritchett with you as we talk Notre Dame football recruiting as the Irish get set to go down to Louisville to take on the Cardinals on Saturday. Well, Mike, good to be with you. How are you enjoying primetime football 
as you've got post-game shows here on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel after every game. Late nights and uh, late mornings. I'm all right. Yeah, just adjust. But it's been all good. It's a lot more fun when they win and pull one out like they did last Saturday. It was a, a wild football game. But let's get down to business. Some recruiting news. You've told us a lot about Jerome Bettis Jr., a legacy, obviously, we all know his dad. Are we getting close to a conclusion to his recruiting process? No. And that's kind of the update today is that we're not. Um, and I had an in-depth article on uh, Bettis Jr. that you can find at blueandgold.com posted uh, Tuesday afternoon. So um, went in-depth talking about you know where his recruitment's at, his relationship with the Notre Dame staff, and he's even pretty excited about uh, Notre Dame landing a good commitment from class of 2025 quarterback Deuce Knight. Nation's number 39 overall player, number three, uh, excuse me, three quarterback in that 2025 class. So uh, Bettis told me, and of course, Bettis, 6'385 pounds, 2025 wide receiver. Bettis told me that um, when right before Deuce was announcing his decision, that uh, Deuce informed Bettis, like, hey, this is coming and you've got to join me in South Bend. I think that meant a lot uh, to Bettis. So. Yeah, the, kind of the update, Darren, is that, uh, you know, he's taking his time, and he told me that he really appreciated, you know, that Notre Dame is treating him like other recruits, that like, hey, Notre Dame could probably say to Jerome Bettis Jr., what are you waiting for, man? Just go ahead and commit. We want you in this class right now. They could do that, I think, Darren, and probably would work, but they're respecting him and saying when Jerome says, hey, I want to take my process take my time, you know, kind of go through it, go, go on some visits to other places as well. You know, they're, they're respecting that. And they also probably don't in the back of their head, whether it's October 3rd or, you know, January 15th or whatever random date you want to throw in the winter, they're probably going to get his commitment. So Notre Dame's still going through, um, you know, the, the process with Bettis. And I got to see Bettis a couple of weeks ago, actually the day before the Ohio State game, which is also when, um, you know, he, he was up on campus, um, you know, for that game. And I was pretty impressed, Darren. thought he looked uh, pretty good. It was a, a routine win for him, so he only played the first half. But um, look good, you know, going back to the ball, catching some of these comeback routes. You love to see that, not waiting for the ball and, and letting it even get into your body, going out, snagging with his hands. Um, he definitely looks the part. I think he's a, he would be a pretty good catch for Notre Dame. You know, if Jerome Bettis, if Jerome Bettis' son is a Power 5 level player, you're taking him. That's you don't have any other choice. And it's actually a good thing that he's actually a pretty good player too. I, I like what I see in his film. I like what the coaching staff are saying to you, Mike, because I think sometimes a kid like this who has a such a familiar last name, there are a lot of kids that may think about, maybe I want to go somewhere else and create my own legacy and not follow my dad's footsteps. Now, I know he loves Notre Dame, so it's not all about that. But I like how the coaches – are treating him and letting him breathe and enjoy the process. I think they're doing a really good job, but they're also not being lazy in that, oh, that's Jerome Bettis' kid. Of course we're going to get him, but they're still treating him like he is any other recruit, which is that's something that's been important to him. He doesn't want any special treatment, or, or uh, I'm sure he also doesn't want them to slack off either. And, again, you know, he tells me that Chancey Stuckey and Chad Bowden are talking to him on a daily basis. Um, he talks to Freeman and Parker a good bit as well. Um, some good daily communication between the two parties. And uh, Bettis is, of course, a frequent visitor up to South Bend. Um, he was on campus for the Ohio State game, expecting to be back this uh, next weekend for the USC game as well, Darren. 
Mike, it's hard to believe that in a lot of places we're halfway through the high school football season. It's simply flying by. When you think about players that committed or Notre Dame's recruiting, are there a couple of guys that have stood out to you? And I don't know if surprised is the right word, but has caught your attention so far this fall. Perfect way to describe it, Aaron. Like, yeah, guys have caught my attention. And I'll start with a player who I actually saw recently, um, actually just this past weekend. Oh. That was Micah Gilbert, 6'2", 205 um, pounds. And uh, when I saw him at Irish Invasion over the summer, I was like, yeah, he's just another one, kind of one of these big boundary receivers that Notre Dame has in spades, right? You know, you know Deion Colsey or Jaden Thomas. Uh, it just seems like Notre Dame has a lot of those type. Jaden Greathouse, even, you know, he's playing the slot right now, but you can see him as that kind of body type. And I thought Micah Gilbert would be that as well, but I have a, I'm singing a different tune now because Gilbert, I thought, just looked fantastic and showed off the number one potential in that game. Um, you know, As a deep threat, as an underneath screen kind of threat, I think he can do it all. I'm pretty impressed um, with Micah Gilbert um, from what I saw from him. Having a pretty darn good season through six games, 50 catches, 688 yards, five touchdowns, and also is playing on defense too, Darren. So he is a two-way player. Again, I I got four guys here for you, Darren. So Tay Johnson um, playing all over the field. He's going to play safety for the Fighting Irish, and he has, uh, I think, seven tackles or something. But he's transitioned more to full-time quarterback. 38, or excuse me, 30 of 48 passes. He's completed for 457 yards, five touchdowns, 28 carries, 280 yards, and six touchdowns. So he's ranked as an athlete, and I hope that continues because you can't rank him as a safety. When You really just have to rank him based on his overall athletic traits. Um, and I think that, you know, when some of these school, when some of these websites like an on three who ranks him lowest right now gets a hold of his you know, senior tape here and then watches his early basketball film. I'm sure he's going to play basketball this winter. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Tate Johnson shoots up the rankings. Bodie Cahoon um, in Virginia, this, this class of 2024 linebacker commit for the Fighting Irish. Darren, six games, 107 tackles. What? Over 100 tackles in six games, 62 solo tackles. 13 of his stops are for loss, four sacks. He's got a PBU, a fumble recovery, and a block punt. He has been an absolute tackle machine. So, Bodie Cahoon, I'm loving what I'm seeing from him uh, in his senior film. And then uh, Cam Williams, I think, probably going to end up a five-star player. Um, In the four games, we have stats on him. 14 catches, 342 yards, five touchdowns. He also has 108 rushing yards and two touchdowns two touchdowns on kick returns as well. And he's got an 83 yard punt return uh, on his stat sheet. And that's just for the four games we have stats for Kane Williams stock is up for him. And it, it can't get a whole lot higher, you know, on three ranking him as the number 27 overall player, number five receiver in the country. But I, I think he, I think he's got a good case in the best of five star Darren. I can't get over the 107 tackles in six games. I know. Is his girlfriend keeping the tackle stats or something? <laughs> Cause that's incredible. Yeah, Unbelievable. It is. It is official stats, but yeah, uh, stats can be an interesting thing because you're tracking them at the high school level, and uh, yeah, Darren, I'll be. I remember uh, I don't do I don't compile our stats sure. article like I used to, but it would be like I'd be like getting the stats each week from a high school coach, and I'm just doing the basic math again based on the, what the high school coach is telling me each week, and then the high school will put out the end of the year stats, and it's totally different than what I've been getting each week from like. I, 
throwing my hands up in the air or whatever. But, uh, yeah, 107 <laughs> tackles there. I'm pretty impressive by Bodie Cahoon. I'm not asking you to rate anybody. I'm just kind of asking a general question here. As this season has unfolded, uh, we've heard that Rico Flores and Jaden Greathouse were really developed in high school. There were things they were coached in high school that has enabled them, coupled with Coach Stuckey's work, to get them on the field very, very quickly. So they were prepped pretty well. I'm just wondering about Williams. We hear so much about him and his talents, yeah. the high upside. And again, I, I don't want you p- to put you in a in a coach's seat trying to predict stuff, but is it fair to say his talents and, and how he's being uh, used at the high school level at least gives him a chance to be in the conversation to be kind of next year's great house or Flores? Yeah, part of the thing about great house and Flores is that they come from, you know, to just programs that are top 25 nationally every year Uh, i'm not trying to throw any shade at glenbard south but you know it's just like those programs can kind of be run like many colleges so i think that's part of it um but uh in terms of him being ready he's enrolling early that's a big check right there now you you've seen in the past that you and jeremiah love didn't enroll early but it definitely helps like Flores did, Greyhouse did. So when you get to campus in January, it, it definitely helps you be able to get on the field sooner than later. Um, and then just the overall talent for, for Cam Williams, that it translates, and it translates right away. And so it's more for, for him, like he is, in, in my opinion, a better talent than Greyhouse and Flores. So he might not have the – Again, elite high school preparation that Flores and Greyhouse did, but he's better than them as a receiver. And that's not to slight Greyhouse and Flores at all. I'm talking about when these guys are all seniors, and I am the I am as big of a Greyhouse fan, as big as a Flores fan as they come. But Kane Williams athletically is just a little bit different, Darren. He's he's just a beast. Okay, very good. Mike Singer, Blue and Gold Illustrated. I'm Darren Pritchett from WSBT Radio. Let's continue on and talk about the Irish 24 class for a second. I think the last couple of times I've asked you, well, what's left to do for the Irish in this 24 class? Two words that always came up were Gerby Lambert, the offensive yeah. tackle from Massachusetts. Well, we've checked that off the to-do list because he is verbally committed to the Fighting Irish. So is your checklist getting pretty short at this time? It is. So Notre Dame has 23 commits, which ranks number nine in the country per the uh, industry rankings. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, they're basically, Darren, in the – we've hit our mark at each position. Even Lambert. they We wanted three offensive linemen. Lambert was like the – of course, we're going to take Irby Lambert. They weren't going to take many. Guy. Like, there wasn't many guys out there that they would have taken as that fourth offensive lineman in the class. So now it's like, who is still out there that we think we can flip that we absolutely love? Um, and right now, there are four names. So Notre Dame was also in, in pursuit of Davis Andrews, the, the Mormon uh, two-year mission kid. Uh, he committed to Utah Monday night. Notre Dame would have liked to have him, but it's not really that big of a loss. He, he wouldn't even got here until 2026. 
Um, but uh, so there's really four names right now, and I wrote about this in the Gold Standard article Monday. So if you want even more in-depth information, please head to the website, blueandgold.com. You can check that out. Caleb Beasley at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville. Interesting note there. Deuce Knight, Notre Dame's quarterback commit in the 2025 class, left uh, George County High School in, in Loosedale, Mississippi, where he was, to transfer to Beasley's high school. And they're actually pretty good friends. So, you know, Knight's uh, 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 now back at George County. Um, but now instead of, like, Knight going to Tennessee with Beasley, could now Knight get Beasley to flip to Notre Dame? It's possible, not ruling it out. The two parties are in communication, that being the Notre Dame staff and Beasley. Um, but how likely it is, I would say that it's probably unlikely. But Notre Dame is still working on him. Keep an eye on Carter Nelson from Ainsworth, yeah. Nebraska. And, uh, yeah, a, a Cornhusker commit who uh, there's some good and some bad here for Notre Dame. I think the good is that Mitchell Evans is looking fantastic. Um, that you can very much say, hey, uh, uh, you know, Michael Mayer declares for the draft, um, is a high draft pick, and then boom, we replace him with Mitchell Evans, and then we can go from Mitchell Evans to you, Carter Nelson. Like there, it's easy for that. And then Nebraska looks awful on the football field. That's the what's going for Notre Dame here. The bad is that like his family is just like diehard Nebraska fans. Like I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Carter Nelson's been going to Nebraska games since. You know, he, he came out the womb like this kid is a, a Cornhusker through and through in that sense. Um, so it's going to be tough, but I would not doubt Notre Dame here. I, I just keep a close eye on it. I would peg it as a long shot. I know I'm kind of giving you guys mixed feel, signals here. Like, Mike, can Notre Dame get him or not? I'd peg it as a long shot un, unless he actually visits campus. Like, if he gets to campus, all bets are off. And I would peg it as like, yeah, Notre Dame's got as good a shot as anybody at that point. Um, so just keep an eye on that. Follow the visits with these committed kids. When they're committed elsewhere, it's kind of tough to gauge. Well, do they have a realistic shot? If they visit, that kind of gives you a good indication. And one player who did visit Notre Dame recently is Mondi Boko, the official visitor for the Ohio State game. He's a Georgia commit, uh, beefy, beefy, beefy interior defensive lineman. Um, Notre Dame sources kind of feel like the Irish have a chance to pull off this flip but it, it, there's still a battle to continue on here up until signing day, Darren, which is only two and a half months away, if you can believe it. It's kind of crept up on us. So Notre Dame battling um, for him. He took the official visit. That tells us he's serious. You wouldn't go and do that unless you're really looking at that school. Um, so we'll, we'll continue to watch him. And then lastly, probably the longest shot of the group, I don't believe that Notre Dame's having much good dialogue or, or productive dialogue, I should say, with Justin Scott, the five-star defensive lineman from Chicago who's committed to Ohio State. Um, but uh, it, it's at least a name we're throwing out there. If something were to happen to Ohio State, you know, uh, their defensive line coach, Larry uh, Johnson, leaves or, or something, you know, something like, like maybe. But uh, I think it's going to be tough for the Irish. Mike, you're pretty good at asking yourself questions. I feel like my job's in jeopardy. I mean, it could be Mike and Mike. That might be copyrighted, but we can come up with another name. So I better be good on my next question because, you better. by golly, Tyler Hork and I, part of Hey Horka Mondays on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel at 3 Eastern time. We're just kind of chatting away, and all of a sudden, Horka throws out that, yeah, that singer guy's got this 
Marcus Freeman will be the defensive coordinator possibly next year. And I'm like, okay, I need context. I need a little yeah. more context. You just can't say that. So there's a whole lot more to it. So what is your Marcus Freeman defensive coordinator theory? Okay. I don't even know if you can call it a theory. And I had popped off the show. I was watching you guys and I popped back on. You guys were talking about me. I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> all, all I've said before and I said this on a show, and that's where Horka got it from. I was like, if Golden leaves after the season, I would guess this is Golden's last season um, at Notre Dame. Not because, like, I think he's doing a bad job, because I don't know if he wants to be a college defensive coordinator going on a third year. I mean, there's probably a reason he went, like, 15 years not coaching in the college ranks. So he might get some group of five job or, like, a lower-level P5 job or go back to the NFL, something like that. And if he were all, all, all that it is is that if he were to go golden, what about the possibility that Freeman just takes defensive coordinator play calling duties? Like that, that's, that's all it is. Um, like what if he just kind of assumes that role again, I'm not like saying that this is happening or these are discussions. It was really just a theory that each time I throw it out there, the people on I'm on a show with, they do exactly what you did. Hmm. Let me think about that. Um, like it's an interesting thing to kind of uh, ponder, like, cause then it could be like some kind of, you know, uh, situation where like a Mike Mickens gets a promotion to, to defensive coordinator, but isn't necessarily calling in play. It's like, it just could be interesting, Darren. Um, it's a, uh, I don't even know if I'd call it a theory, but it's just something to ponder. Like could Freeman, um, which, which I don't think it's a long shot to say golden leaves after the season at all. Again, I think it probably happens. Um, but do they hire a true defensive coordinator or does Freeman say, you know what, in year three, I want to call the plays. I know it's interesting. I guess the first thing that comes to mind, I think it's easier for an offensive coordinator to be head coach compared to defensive coordinators because there are so many more decisions you make as offensive when you're offensive coordinator because of, you know, fourth and one um, defensive coordinator might be talking to someone, Hey, we got a decision to make. So that comes to mind. And I love Marcus Freeman as defensive coordinator. I think Mike, that's a great idea. I think he's a great defensive mind. I would be thrilled about that. My hesitation is I want to see how the season would pan out in terms of yeah. decision-making late in games. I mean, there's a lot on your plate as a head coach. So I think I'd like to see him, balance that a little bit more down the stretch here and then we'll see what happens after the season but that's really interesting that's that had not crossed yeah. my mind one quick thought Darren, yeah. did you watch that like five minute video the irish access thing where you had the heads the coaches on the headset were talking did you this i thought this was really interesting did you catch the part where one of the coaches asked freeman like hey what do we do right here like do you want to run it or something like that do you remember that, that there's yeah. a little part where one of the coaches said free what do you want to do here Last year with Reese, it was more of a Tommy Reese is the head coach of the offense. I don't know if those words were ever said publicly, but, like, that was my understanding. I liked in – that, in that video, it kind of said, like, oh, Free, there's Parker's not the head coach of the offense. Like, Freeman has his say there. So I, my point in bringing that up is yeah. I wouldn't want the offensive coordinator, assuming it's Jared Parker again next year, to be the head coach of the offense. I got, so that would I'm, I'm kind of with you on that wavelength that, you know, you, you want him still involved on, on, on those kind of things. 
But as defensive coordinator, I think Marcus, I mean, yeah. the track record shows he yeah. is top of the line. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Blueandgold.com is your place for all things Fighting Irish, including recruiting. So what you yeah. guys got right now? Uh, our offer that we have right now is if you're a new subscriber, a dollar for a month, just try us out. Head over to blueandgold.com. Um, yeah, you'll see the offer right at the, uh, the top of your, your browser there. And we would hope that you can, uh, you know, just, you know, just do, do the dollar deal. Try us out for a month and, and see what you think. I mean, between the content, the message board, uh, I mean, all of the, you know, the, the chatter on our board, thousands of other Notre Dame fans, they are, it, it, I think it's fantastic. So, um, yeah, please check out balloonwheel.com. All right. And make sure you check out Mike after the game Saturday night with probably Tim on the Blue and Gold yep. YouTube channel, breaking it all down in ties, which is top-notch. I would never do that, so I give you credit. Mike, yep. appreciate your time and the information as always. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you, Darren. That's Mike Singer, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, covering all things Fighting Irish football recruiting. Stand by. We have more Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is 645 at WSBT Radio. I'm Darren Pritchett. Really quick segment. Major League Baseball postseason. The Twins are trying to break an 18-game postseason losing streak. And right now the Twins lead the Blue Jays 3-1 in the bottom of the seventh up in the Twin Cities. Rookie Royce Lewis homered in his first two career postseason at bats, just the third player in baseball history to do that. He's knocked in three. He's walked. It is 3-1 Twins earlier today. It was a 4-0 victory for the Rangers over the Rays. The NL is getting started tonight. Arizona taking on Craig Council and the Brewers in Milwaukee. And the Phillies and the Marlins are playing in Philadelphia tonight. All right, we have to step aside, get caught up on breaks. We'll have sports wagering talk coming up next on WSBT. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 